0: There is none like him. Amen? amen? None like God. And our prayer here today is that not that you come to church, but that you have an encounter with the Almighty. That is our prayer. Amen? amen. I just want to say amen a lot. All right, here we go. We are in Acts 3. We're in this birth of a movement series. And, and here's the deal. If you're joining us, I just want to tell you, when it comes to Acts, there's no shallow end. We're jumping right in here in Acts 3 to divine supernatural healing. Okay, And so we're going to see what God has for us today as we go here because Acts 3 asks us some very uh, important questions about ourselves, our faith, and our belief. We have a special day planned and so I'm going to go ahead and jump into the text. You can read along with me up here or in your Bible on your own. Uh, But we're going to jump into Acts 3. Uh, This is after Jesus has ascended, after Pentecost, and Peter and John are on their way to the temple for a time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. He begged from those who went in so they could get more favor and he begged from those who went out hoping their generosity would be greater. And it says he was carried and he was put. Someone would drop him off and pick him up later. This is a a congenital handicap and he had had this uh, his entire life. Uh, Since the age he could probably sit up, he has been begging He has grown up begging as a three-year-old, a 10-year-old, 15-year-old. This is the life that this beggar has known. Today is no different than his yesterday, and in his mind, today is no different than it will be 20 years from now. He believes this is his lot. Here he is begging. And then in verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And this is nothing special. He sees someone passes and he asks them for money. I don't think he met their eyes too much. I think that a lifetime of of having people look down on him, he probably looked down himself. He put his hand out and and asked them for some money. Now from this moment on, Luke goes into great detail about what happens. Like Luke wants us to, to, to see intricate things in there. He interviewed somebody, obviously, it could have been John or Peter themselves, because what we're gonna see here is it is very particular. We have to put ourselves in this position. You see this, uh, this, this, this temple, and there's this courtyard, there's this gate, and there's this beggar, head down, arm extended, John and Peter walking by. He asks him for some money. Peter looks straight at him. The term here is he fixed his gaze. And we see this later with Paul, as Paul looks at somebody and waits for God to give him supernatural knowledge. John and Peter, they fix their gaze on this beggar, and I believe in this moment they're asking God something. And then Peter says, look at us. Let me see your eyes. Look at me. The man gave him their attention, expecting to get something from him. The beggar looks up with hope, not with the hope of someone who's about to receive something divine, but the hope of a beggar just about to receive a few more coins, then Peter said, listen, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I do give you, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. This is the crux of the whole thing. Peter tells the man, I don't have what you want, but I have what you need. You're here daily looking for a hand up, but in Jesus' power, I'm ba- you're, you're here daily looking for a handout, but in Jesus' power, I'm about to give you a hand up. I'm about to give you something that you did not expect. I don't have money, but I do have faith. That's what he's saying here. Silver and gold I have not. I don't have money, but I do have faith. And listen how specific Luke gets here in verse seven. Taking the beggar by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strengthened, became strong for the first time in his entire life. The bold, impulsive Peter declares healing in Jesus' name and then has the audacity to go act like it was done (laughs) and pick this man up. He helped up a man who'd never stood up in his life. Now, here's the question. Looking at this, when did the miracle happen? Was it when Peter declared it with his mouth and said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk? Is that when it happened? It seems here as Luke has gone painstakingly through all these steps, it might have been the moment when in complete faith, Peter goes and helps the man up. Peter took him by the right hand, held him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. You see, Peter prayed with great faith in Jesus' name, but according to the account, it was when Peter helped him up in great expectation that the man walked. And there's something in this for each of us. As you pray for God to move in your life and for him to move in the life of those around you, do you actually expect something to happen? Like, really? When you pray for God to heal or to speak or to give wisdom or to, uh, to forgive, whatever, may be, when, do you, when you pray to the almighty divine God, do you have an expectation? Because Peter sure seems to. What if Peter had simply prayed for healing and then walked on? What if Peter just said thoughts and prayers as he walked by? Would the man man have been healed if Peter had prayed and then walked off? You know, we don't know. We do not know. But what we do know is that when Peter went and helped him up and lifted him up to his feet in great faith and in great expectation, he, he was strengthened. And I just have to ask, what if next time you ask for peace or healing or blessing or forgiveness or help or reconciliation or whatever it is that you're asking God for, what if after you prayed, you actually acted upon it as if you had a great expectation that God would move? You see, and this, this has been hijacked by many people, both on TV and all over the world. Like, you know, you pray it, and then you just, but, but, but let's put all that aside. Put all your experience aside. Put all the, the things that have come to you, and let's look at what Acts 3 says. In Acts 3, Peter prays and then acted upon it, and the miraculous happened. I don't want to discount something because I don't like it in the culture and how it's being delivered somewhere else. Let's just go by this. He declared in great faith and then he expected with great faith and acted upon it. So what if next time we, we prayed, we had such a faith that God would move that we then acted like he was moving? Just a thought. You see, oftentimes our faith is Shallow. Because the second our prayer leaves our lips, our next action reveals that we have no belief anything will come of it. By the time it's gone, we've moved on with zero expectation. What if the next time that prayer left your lips, your faith engaged again at a higher expectation and you looked for God to have moved in the way that you asked of him? What are the results here? The beggar, in verse eight, the beggar jumps to his feet and begins to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising, they recognized him as the same one who they'd seen sit and begging at the temple gate. Of course they've seen him. They've seen him grow up. Some of these people have seen him his whole life. They may have never looked him in the eyes because he doesn't look people in the eyes, but for the first time they're seeing him with eyes lit up with hope and joy and legs strong. They see, isn't that, whatever his name would be, isn't that him? That's the guy. They were filled with wonder and amazement, obviously, at what had happened. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now I have some more, but before I go any further, I want you to hear from somebody else. You know, as a pastor, I've seen some amazing works of God, some miraculous things. I cannot deny that God moves because I've seen it and I've experienced it. But I've told people that and they're like, well, you're a pastor. And that's like somehow really special. Ask my wife how special that makes me. And so I thought, if I tell you some of my stories, it would just be like, oh, well, of course. you're So I decided I would find a lawyer. Because surely, if God's going to move in a lawyer's life, then we are all, he yeah, he is God. And we're all maybe can do this, right? God would move in all of our lives. And so honestly, uh, John Hammonds is one of uh, a good friend of ours, and he has a testimony today I want you to hear. I want you to hear it because it, 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 it's a modern day Acts 3. He experienced something he cannot deny, and in his words, you will hear something that will challenge you, and after that, we're going to ask some questions about what it means for us today. So John, come on up. Now, he speaks in a different language, and so um, I want you to work hard to decipher him. Some of you, it's going to take a, this is, this is a three-minute testimony. It's going to take about 10 minutes, okay? you'll see. I love you, man. Hi. Hey. <laughs>
1: I really thank you all for having the opportunity to be here and uh, put up with all of the malarkey about my good southern drawl here. (laughs) But I do have something I want to share that is exactly what Paul experienced. And it is something that God allowed me to experience. And I certainly am not worthy of what God showed me and what he let me be a part of. And I want to share with you About that event in 2002 I ask you this any of you ever been somewhere where you didn't expect you'd be well I was in 2002 my wife Marlene and I were led and called to be foreign missionaries we were went to Rio in Brazil amen it's a wonderful place and we went to there to work with a church uh, the church was Second Baptist Church of Santissimo. It was a small church in an outskirt or a suburb uh, of Rio in a community dominated by the practice of voodoo. This church made a commitment to change, to bring Jesus Christ and to change their community through their faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit working because of their faith. And what they did is every single person in the congregation was asked to identify a family that needed jesus christ and those names of those people were put together and that church as a church body for one solid year met at least weekly and they prayed for each of those people by name that jesus christ would come into their lives, and that they would come to know him in a personal way. Marlene and I went there, and we had the privilege of going and speaking and sharing our faith with those people who had been identified, and I want to tell you about one of them. We went, I went, probably the second day there, I went to the opposite side of town with the couple that had identified this particular family. And about eight or ten other members of the church and i had an interpreter because everybody in brazil speaks what portuguese Portuguese. and i know one portuguese word uluru, which means buzzard by the way (laughs) i don't know why that stuck with me but that's the one portuguese word i know anyway we go to this house and this is an elderly couple that have been married for over 50 years They are voodoo worshipers. As we go to the house, my interpreter, the couple that had identified them and I go in, the other eight or 10 people stayed outside and prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit to anoint that meeting. When we came in, I met the wife first, and she was a pistol. She was bouncing around, this little lady, and she was just full of energy, and she was so, impressed that an American would come to her home. And so she was willing to hear my testimony about Jesus Christ. I sat on a chair next to her husband. Her husband was a frail, withered, pitiful man on the verge of death. Skin and bones who lay on a pallet on a dirt floor with his mouth gaping open unseeing eyes staring at the ceiling I then began to share with her about my testimony of what Jesus Christ had meant to me and I asked her I said through the interpreter of course can he understand anything I'm saying and she looked up and sadly said no he can he hasn't walked in over three years He really can't talk. He cannot understand you. He said, but, I said, how do you deal with this? He said, well, he can let me know when he's hungry or needs to go to the bathroom, and I simply pick him up and carry him where he needs to go. So I began to share, and after a period of time, and I gave her a little brochure I'd done, which was my testimony written in Portuguese on one side and the plan of salvation on the other. And at the end of this time i gave that to her and i asked her will you read and study this and she said she would and so then i asked "Uh, may i pray for you And she said sure and as i bowed my head to pray and began to pray this frail hand came up and touched me on the leg and i looked down at this pitiful man and his mouth was moving my interpreter came over bent down leaned over him put his ear right next to his mouth and my interpreter looked up and with a startled look and he said he's asking for you to pray to Jesus that he could walk just one more time before he dies just once I looked at him through the interpreter, and I said, Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And do you have faith that he can heal you? And this old man through the interpreter said, Yes. I knelt, I put my hands on his legs, and I prayed for a miracle. And when I looked up, his eyes were closed, his mouth was shut. He was still breathing, but that's about it. We left with the hope that God would do a miracle in this family of voodoo worshipers. Two days later, I was in another home with another family and another group of people sharing my faith with them. And they accepted Jesus Christ. And just as we finished that extraordinary time, I heard a little wee voice outside crying out, American! American, American. And being the incredibly gifted lawyer who spends time analyzing the truth, I kind of figured maybe I'm the only American in the house, so maybe they're looking for me. So I walked out. And as soon as this little child, about eight years old, saw me, he ran up and he grabbed my hand, and he began to cry out. And the interpreter said, he's saying, they need you. They need you. They need you. So we began to, I said, let's go wherever he leads. We will follow. We'll be led by a little child. This little child took us across town to the very home that I had left of that old couple. And their yard was filled with people with somber and serious expressions. And I knew the old man had died. But there was joy moment of joy because this woman a voodoo worshiper had called for me to come and so I thought maybe they've given their life to Christ before his death as I walked toward the door they all parted sort of like the Red Sea and I went to the door and the man opened the door and I walked in with my interpreter the old lady was sitting on a chair with these beautiful and serene eyes and this beautiful face And I said, God, give me compassion to know what to say to her at this moment. And as I stepped toward her, from the corner came the man. He was walking. His arms were out. He had a smile. And he ran up to me and he threw his arms around me. And he looked at me and he said, Jesus has healed me. At that moment, I was overwhelmed. He took one hand, his wife took the other hand, and they took me outside to their friends, most of whom were voodoo worshipers who were waiting. And as we walked out, the old man looked at them, just like the man who everybody had seen at the gate. They knew this man hadn't walked, talked, or done anything for over three years. He walked out and he said, this is the man who told me about Jesus Christ. And those people asked, they sat, they sat all around me, and they said, tell us about this Jesus Christ. And I did, and I got to share my faith with a whole group of people, many of whom accepted Jesus that very moment. On the last night, I shared earlier that, you know, I didn't know this when I went down there, but the pastor there said, you're going to be the preacher. You're going to preach. You ever tried to preach through an interpreter? So I've, you know, got to stop and let him say everything. But I'm that, that church was packed. It was packed with people who wanted to hear it every seat every aisle had people standing up all the children came up and sat around me and every window and door was open because of all the people who were outside the church looking in wanting to hear about jesus christ and who was sitting on the front row the old man and the old woman the challenge i want to share with each of us here all of us is If this kind of miracle can happen in Santissimo, outside of Brazil, and can change a community, can we not do the same thing in this valley? Can we not be the people of God willing to risk, as Daniel said, to risk everything because God has given everything. He gave us his son. He gave his life. Can we do anything less than to give away what he has given to us? May God bless us all.
0: I love that. If you know John or get to know John, his, uh, that stretched his theology and that stretched, that stretched every part of you down there, but man, it was a, it was a moment that you, you will never forget, and I wanted to, to challenge us today. And so as you hear that, and as we've heard the account of Acts 3, there's a few things that, that pop out of here. You see, when Peter gathered the crowd, with well, ca- the crowd, Peter didn't gather them. They gathered themselves when the man was, was healed. And in verse 12, Peter, much like John had the opportunity, Peter looks around and sees all the people and says, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. And then verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man, as you can see. You know, Peter makes it very clear here. This is Jesus' power and Jesus' name. This is not our power. This is not our name. This is not for our glory. It is Jesus. It is all Jesus because of him and through him and for him and for his glory. And as, as John told us, when, when, when the man walked out uh, with, with him, and they all said, well, how did this happen? And he told them "Not Jesus. Jesus was glorified, and many came to know him. This is the first thing we learn here in this account, that Peter just, he makes it very clear. Without God's power, there is no healing, Without God's power, there is no healing. He says says it himself. It is not our godliness. Listen, healing doesn't come from our godliness. It comes from God in us. And that's great news. I'm so glad that our godliness isn't the factor on what God does. It's based on him, not on me. It's God in us, not godliness, okay? Never forget that. Without God's power, there's no healing. But check this, without Peter's faith, there would be no healing. Now hold on. I know, I know that for some of us that ruffles some feathers or causes some thoughts. But hear me on this. Peter's faith was not what healed this man. But without Peter's faith in Jesus, he would never have stopped and prayed for this man and he certainly wouldn't have helped the man up in expectation. He would have just gone to the temple. I'll I'll get some money on the way out. he, He might have just walked past the man and said, we don't even know. Peter's faith was engaged in this. It was God's power, but Peter's faith led him to speak and led him to action. I see two things at work here. God's power, Peter's faith. And again, remember, Peter's faith did not heal. And this is the great part of it. We have zero to do with one side of this equation. We have zero to do with God's power. He's, it's all him. It's all him. But we have so much to do with the other side, and that's us and our faith and, Orchard, Our expectation. Do you expect him to move are you willing to risk is your faith big enough that you can expect that when you pray to the almighty god that he might do almighty things we we have nothing to do with the part of the equation of god's power but everything to do with our faith if it's god's power that heals then what is he responsible for and what are we responsible for and as john said uh, the risk that's ours The risk is ours. If if we are God's and Jesus' hands and feet and words on this earth to to, to glorify him and make him known, then the risk is up to us. And we risk by seeking, by speaking, by praying, by acting, by, by, by compassion, by all these things. And when we risk, that's when we engage our faith. Now, if the risk is our responsibility, what is his responsibility? This is awesome. The results. That's the best part of it. The results aren't on you. Have you ever prayed for somebody and nothing happened? The results aren't you. That's not you. It's just as if something did happen. That's not you either. The results are in God's side. The risk is in our side. And so so we can go out and we can risk and pray with expectation and faith and let the results be with him. Which leads us to an amazing question. Why do some get healed and others do not? And I want to tell you, I have been praying and reading and I have the answer to this. Why are some people healed and why are some not? I know the answer. I don't know why. (laughs) I just do not know. I have no idea. But Orchard, I know this. I want to be found on the side of risk and faith and expectation because the other alternative is powerless and passionless. So I don't know why, but may we be found as a people who risk for the sake of our God, who can do mighty things. If he is who he says he is, then he can do anything. And so why not pray for anything? And why not at risk? And why not expect It's his power and his results. It's our faith and our risk. In closing, I'm I'm gonna go back to Peter's words where he says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give you. What he's saying here is I don't have money, but I do have faith in Jesus, and I give you that. I don't have money, but I do have faith and I give you that. How do we get this mixed up in our life? You see, we switch this. Peter says, I don't have money, but I have faith. And we say, I don't have faith, but I do have some money. Here. I was involved, you know. And there's nothing wrong with being generous and giving, and sometimes God will lead us to that. But sometimes we think if we have some change in our pocket, we're excused from the rest of it. Hey, hey, I don't have faith, but I do have money. What if God wants to begin to work through a people who are willing to risk, to give people what they need, not just what they want? That when you walk up, you say, I do have money, but I have something more than that. Can I pray for you? Now, I know the risk factor is so high. I mean, can you imagine walking up and you see somebody with an arm and a sling and you just go, hey, can I pray for that arm? In the name of Jesus, be healed. And let's just go ahead and act on that and you stretch it out or whatever. I mean, can you imagine the risk factor? Like, like we, we kind of read over it because it's Peter and Peter will do anything. He'll jump out of a boat and cut off an ear, but, you know, but what does it look like in our life? What does this look like for us? Let's, let's bring it down to us. For some of us, it is simply risking speaking. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Do you mind if I pray for you? Now, even that is just chilling for some of us when we think of our coworkers and people in our home. But God is calling us to move out and risk. And so here's, you know, as you begin to go out in your life, there's, there's areas where this becomes hard. My wife and I were, were seeing somebody off. It was a friend of ours who were getting involved in his life and they were moving uh, back to Iowa and we were, my wife and I were saying goodbye to him at his place at work and we walked out and I, heard, I, felt, I, was like, I felt God asked us to pray for him. I know he doesn't know Jesus, but I just felt we should pray for him. She goes, I, I kind of do too. And I was like, yeah, it's a bummer we missed that. My wife looks me in the eye and this is my wife. She said, well, I'm going back in there, so you can either come with me or stay out here with the kids. <laughs> well, I guess I'll go with you. <laughs> Went back in and prayed for the gentleman and we all cried and, and we, don't, we sent him off and who kn- I don't even know, I don't have to know why. The results aren't up to me. I'm just here for the risk. And so the last part of it is this. When Peter looked at the man, it says he fixed his gaze. And like I told you earlier, when Paul fixed his gaze, they were waiting for something from God. And so next time you see somebody in need, how about this? You fix them in your gaze. You look at them and you ask, this is what you ask. God, what do they need? That simple prayer might change everything. God might say, they do need some money. Okay. He might say, don't give them money. Pray for them. He might just give you a prompt. He might give you, I don't know what he will give you. But what if we begin to, the first risk we have is asking God, what do they need? If we can become a people who say we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, above our reputations, above awkward moments, and we begin to love people, when we pray, God, what do they need? He's gonna begin to show us what this valley needs. And then we take the risk and go, it's gonna sound weird, man, but do you mind if I just pray over you? Do you mind if I just pray for you? And they, I, I, I don't know what's gonna happen from there neither do you, but the results are up to, to God. And the risk is up to us. Orchard, let's be a people who, who take God seriously and believe he is who he says he is, that he is almighty, that he moves in power. And you know what? He can do anything. And may our faith engage and may it look like risk for the sake of love. And may we have high expectations so that when we, when we hear God prompt us to pray for somebody or to, to give or to serve or to help or whatever it would be, we become a people who risk for the sake of the kingdom. And if we do that, if we begin to say yes to God already, movement happens because people are going to see Jesus through us. Peter could have simply walked by the man, but because of his obedience, the man was changed, and it looks like a whole community was changed. May it be true of us, amen? So Orchard this week. Have your yes ready. And when you see somebody in need, don't just reach in your pocket. Don't just discount it. Fix your eyes and say, God, what would you have for them? What would you have me do for them? And then risk with expectation that he is who he says he is. As we take communion today and we end this, and we, you, this communion is open to everybody. If there's no classes, there's no, nothing to go through to be a part of communion, we would ask that if you wanna just remember Jesus and his sacrifice, you are free to come and take it. But during this moment, if you're in here and, and you, you feel like, I, I would like healing. I, want, I, have, I, have, I need healing for emotional or for past issues. I need healing for physical issues. I don't wanna let this moment pass. And so um, we're gonna have some people over here on the side uh, up here on front of the side. Will you, will you guys get up this side over here? And um, if you would like prayers for healing, please, please come up. Don't be shy. Maybe your risk is coming up and asking somebody. And if you're somebody here today and you would like to pray over people, you're free to come over there and be a part of that team. So let's move into a time of risking. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we thank you so much. I thank you for your power. I thank you, you are who you say you are. I pray that you begin to, to, to make us who you want us to be as a people who trust you so much that we will risk everything and that we expect all that is you. In Jesus' name, amen.